prepare yourself for the clash of punk rock, politics, and your uncensored, unafraid host, Remso W. Martinez. You are about to experience the Remso Republic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program once again. This week I've got kind of a special treat for you. I've got radio host and blogger extraordinaire Joey Clark calling in from Alabama today. I wanted to have Joey in because, well, let me backtrack a little bit. For those of you that have been listening for the last couple weeks or so, a common theme I keep bringing up is how to communicate simple but righteous ideas to people, the message of liberty. And as Matt Kibbe from Free the People constantly says, politics is a lagging indicator of culture. You know me, I'm one of those few people out there within the libertarian circle that will cry out that often worn-out conservative message that there's a culture war out there. But there's something deeper than that. The issue at hand with our country isn't just the media people are consuming or the entertainment they like to spend hours binging. It's something much more than that. And this is why I brought on Joey Clark to kind of delve into it further with me. So, Joey, are you there? Yeah. Hello, Rimzo. How are you doing? Outstanding, sir. It's finally great to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. It's been uh, been a lot in the making of doing this, but I'm it finally it's finally here. The been waiting for a while. Rises, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, this is kind of cool because um, for those of you that don't know, I I actually went for my first two years of college in Alabama, and while I was down there, I actually started listening to your show a little bit, and then we oh, went through I- the Libertarian Republic and everything else. So this is this is kind of a treat for me, especially. Well, I'll hold up real quick. I did not know that you you actually heard me on terrestrial radio. I did. I heard you on some FM network as I was driving. I wasn't driving to Tuscaloosa. I was actually driving to uh, Auburn for Young Americans for Liberty Conference. And someone, I was on the phone of somebody, and I was like, yeah, you know, um, I'm listening to all these new podcasts. I just started listening to Mark Clare at the time from Lines of Liberty. And I was like, so I wish there was like a libertarian talk show on the radio. And well, my friends was like, well, you don't, you haven't heard of Joey Clark, have you? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And he was like, oh, go ahead and tune in between this channel and this channel. And eventually I found you. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I did not know that, man. Uh, small world. Because, I, I mean, I first really paid attention to what you were doing through, as you said, the Libertarian Republic. So um, it, it feels like, and that's very cool to me because a lot of the times, especially on conservative radio, it feels like I'm somewhat spinning my wheels and you never get feedback directly from people. So that's, that's awesome. So it's kind of full circle for both of us in that case. Indeed. <laughs> that's awesome. But speaking of awesome, Joey, um, I listen to your show, the Joey Clark radio hour, whenever I get the chance, I'm a big fan of the Bunbury report, the podcast you do through Liberty.me studios. And just like I'm one of the biggest things I constantly hit on is the culture war. One of the underlying tones of all your recent episodes has been this. Libertarians, we we live kind of like in an intellectual void sometimes because we speak of this perfect world where everyone can get along cooperatively without a coercion of force and power and a monopoly of violence. But something that you tap on that far and few other libertarian pundits and speakers and activists ever really bring up is the fact that we live in a world where people like to actually control others. Yes. Yes. Well, is it now you're the only one I really hear talking about this because I heard that from you in a, 
episode you did several months back where you were talking about uh, a time you went to a Young Americans for Liberty conference and you brought this up to the speaker there. Actually, you know what? I think that's a good starting point. How about you kind of rehash that real fast and then we'll dive into it further. Oh, sure. Well, yes, I, I have for some reason or another, and we can get into the details of exactly why I've been inspired. It's almost like I'm on the couch and you're the therapist here for some of the reasons why this started to come to my mind. But uh, essentially, I was at a Students for Liberty uh, conference up in Birmingham. And the first speaker of the day was Art Carden, a great professor over at Sanford University. And he was going through the usual libertarian fair, kind of a one-on-one course. Here are the different ways we can message the ideas of liberty and make the argument. So he goes through the sort of natural rights, moral arguments. Then he goes into the more the economic, utilitarian, practical arguments. And at one point, he asked an interesting question that I think didn't hit necessarily on the economic or the moral, uh, the utilitarian or the natural rights. I think he asked it this way. He said, given that not many of you know me in this room, how many of you would allow me or a lot of these people you just met to control and run your life? And a lot of people, he left it up as a rhetorical question, but at the end, I raised my hand at the Q&A and said, uh, you remember you asking this question? I would answer it with a hell no. Uh, I'd imagine most people in this room would claim to answer it with a no. But if we went outside this room where we aren't selecting the sample as all libertarians, all liberty lovers, how many people would actually answer no? How many people, haven't you found Dr. Carden, haven't you found that there are people in this world who like to dominate others and others who like to be dominated. And how do we reach these folks? And Dr. Carter made a, a quick joke. He said, well, Joey, there are websites out there for people to look into this sort of thing. <laughs> and I mean, I'm like, well, and yes, yes, there are. But I, I started thinking about that question. Um, and I love the work of, to be honest, as, as much as I am of the conservative culture and work on conservative talk radio. I love a lot of people that bring a more of a, a left-wing perspective. So I love people like George Orwell, uh, Christopher Hitchens. And Hitchens in particular talks about the the sadomasochistic nature of, of authority, of totalitarian authorities. And so all this— Oh, just to, just to interrupt real fast, it wasn't until I listened to an episode of your show where you actually spoke about Orwell that I realized that he was a socialist. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually know that until you brought it up. Well, and it took me a little time, too, as I started reading more and more of his work. Uh, it's explicit. It's throughout his work. But he – Orwell was great, and we shouldn't go on too much of a tangent, but Orwell was great because he hated what he called the little orthodoxies. And especially within the left-wing movements and the communist movements, there was all this factional fighting. Strangely enough, it reminds me of libertarians in some ways. And he had no time for this sort of – oh, you're no true uh, communist, and all these divides going on and the backstabbing. Um, so I've learned a lot from him on how to, as much as libertarians should be about ideas and the ideology, libertarianism is explicitly an ideology, it shouldn't be taken to an extreme to where everybody must fit and express that ideology in the same exact manner. Because uh, that just leads to uh, the same problems you had with any uh, political movement, where people play into what the crowd wants, what authority figures want, and they're not using their own independent mind. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I just realized I, I interrupted and I took the original conversation into a completely different path. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah it, but well, um, I'm Orwell, sorry, go ahead. Orwell plays into that will to power thing um, you were getting at that maybe there are people in this world that need to be controlled or yeah. want to be controlled. Um, and Orwell gets at that very well in his book, 1984. And of course, you can't talk about 1984 unless you also talk about Aldous Huxley's A Brave New World. And Huxley has this great line that says, idealism is the noble toga political gentlemen drape over their will to power. And I tend to look at even libertarians a lot of times and see that as much as they profess we we don't want to control people's lives, you have to admit, yes, libertarians, libertarians do want to control people in just a very limited fashion. I Actually, it, it's always a joke with me that you know draws the most blood. So Art Cardin's joke saying there are websites out there for sort of sadomasochism reminded me of another joke in my life where I was, you know, spewing my libertarian arguments and my idealism. And one of my friends, who's not really political at all, says, "You know, Joey, you say you don't want to control people, but you sound like one of the most controlling people I know." Of course, he was joking with me, but it, it made me think about it. And I said, "Yes, in fact, if we're telling." Look at the world right now. Look at most of human history. Libertarians are essentially telling a lot of people, millions if not billions of people, don't behave the way you're behaving right now. And so that's a heavy lift, and that is something we have to speak to, and not just the intellectual arguments. Those, of course, should be the tip of the spear. We should always be searching for uh, coherent intellectual arguments, reason things out. But you also have to speak to people's inner drives, their psychology, their emotional drives. And so if we can find ways not just to talk about strategy like libertarians so often do and we're doing here, but you know, if the artists and other people, you know, ad makers and whatnot, can actually get that message out there, speaking to these people in ways that would maybe you know, steer them away from using the state for them to fulfill their desires. They really could go to those websites Art Garden mentioned. I'm not even sure why Dr. Garden knows those websites. He's a very good Christian man, and I don't even say that jokingly. He really is. I guess the culture is so pervasive with S&M right now. Um, but we have to be able to allow certain other avenues. So it could be S&M. It could be sports. Um, a lot of people who feel very aggressive, who have those sort of urges to be also followers, part of a team. Sports is great. I look back fondly on my time in, in football, and I actually think of an essay, I think it's by Roderick Long, where he talks about free defense in an anarcho-capitalist uh, society, how you would defend a nation or a, a people. And he comes up with this model of sports sort of war gaming. So people already do this with like paintball games, and I, I'd imagine that you could come up with our new technologies, all, all sorts of things. Uh, so this is sort of what I'm getting at in that we can't just say, oh, the world is going to be this beautiful place. No, it will we'll never be this utopia. And people will always have a lust to dominate others and be dominated by others. Exactly. And, you know, you, you bring up what I've been trying to throw out the last couple of weeks, specifically on my show. It's that Politics is a lagging indicator of culture. There's the artistic route. There's the more active route. But as I've been thinking about it more and more often recently, I just have this conversation pinging in my head. I was speaking with a conservative children's novelist recently, Andrea Rand, and we were talking about this fact. It's the fact that 
you know, we have quite a few films and stories out there, whether it's The Hunger Games or Divergent or any of these films where the hero is going up against a strong, dictatorial, fascist state and just fighting for simple things as freedom of thought, freedom of association, free, you know, freedom to have free will in its essence. And while many millennials specifically will say, oh, yeah, I love those films. I love the message. I connect with the character. The person that may be telling that to you is going to go to the voting booth if they vote at all, if they care that much, and possibly vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. And as I continue to think of this, and you know, the thought just continues to rumble around in my head, it, I keep thinking of this John McAfee quote I remember mm. recently. It's that until people, and I like the fact that you know he's a he's a software guy, he's an antivirus pioneer. So all his metaphors always have to do with programming. It's like until you fix the code, the programming stays its course. You can inter- you can introduce as many variable variables and situations and simulations into it, but the coding still works the way it is unless you change that. Right. Uh, well, and I, I mean, I, I tend to think that yes, as much as you try to influence, there is this disconnect between the the sort of rebel culture, which it's so pervasive, it's almost not rebellious at all. Um, but I think you're right in terms of the politics being the lagging indicator. And this bodes well with the art that's being created these days. Uh, For the most part, most of the art is a small group of people rebelling against uh, overt power, Uh, even to the point now where you have, you know, the birth of superhero films, which I could talk about and I could nerd out on for for hours. But these are they start off as kind of fun kids films, but they become these complex political Thrillers. Uh, think of Captain America: Winter Soldier, where you have some very intricate uh, plot lines going on there, and good questions about what it means to be loyal to your people, but also rebel. And I, I, I don't know how we would necessarily reach applying McAfee's quote that disconnect that people will go in and watch, say, Winter Soldier and uh, or The Hunger Games and love those films and connect with those characters, understand what's at stake for those characters, how they're not just uh, caricatures, uh, just rebellious individuals against the big society. No, they're complex human beings with different drives. And yet when they go to the voting booth, uh, it it goes away. They don't think of the government in terms of uh, this overarching authority. So maybe a way to change people's minds, and I'm just spitballing here, is to say that get involved beyond voting, that when you participate in your society, when you give back to your society, you do it in a voluntary way, an entrepreneurial way, artistic expression, all sorts of things you can do, and watch how many roadblocks are put in front of you by this authority. I think when people realize are either shown by entrepreneurs hey, there's a different way you can do this and look at the government stopping me, or if they themselves get involved in a new thing and the government's pushing back on them, uh, I think this uh, can lead to better things. It's not just the expression and the talking, as much as talking is my business. It will come down to when people are shown different ways. And as long as they are just reduced to a vote, I don't think they're ever going to change. They have to be shown that no political action, radical action to change society is much bigger than ever voting. 
Joey, I'm glad you bring that up. And that's exactly what I want to talk about right after this commercial break. Folks, you're listening to the Remsor Republic. Hang on tight, and we'll be back in a moment. Take the show on the go by subscribing to the Remsor Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out. For years, the Republican and Democrat parties have used social issues and crises to keep us at odds with one another. They've divided us into groups and pit each group against the other, while those in government have together collaborated to strip us of our liberty little by little. In 2009, I decided to do something about it, and the Rupert for Senate campaign was born. Government of, by, and for the people requires our participation, not as voters, but as leaders and decision makers. But the parties have made it all but impossible for real, ordinary Americans to do so. So this average American has, since 2009, worked to give the voters, at least of Ohio, a choice outside the parties. The message is simple. The Constitution protects every American equally, but it's powerless to protect itself. That's our job, and it's time we take it seriously. You can learn more about my campaign at scottrupert.com. I'm Scott Rupert, independent candidate for Ohio's U.S. Senate, and I approve of this message. People often ask me what podcasts I listen to, you know, and I'm not listening to old episodes of my own, that is. There are many great out there. There are some that are entertaining, funny, you learn from them, they just give you a great insight you're not going to hear anywhere else. But there's one show that really comes to mind when I think of where to get your starting ground and understanding what open minds and open markets mean. It's actually the show that I listened to when I first started learning about libertarianism. It's the Lions of Liberty podcast with its host, Mark Clare. Mark and his team do excellent things, from libertarians in a living room drinking liquor to Felony Fridays. They have a great list of just amazing interviews, talking to the movers and shakers in the liberty movement. And let me tell you, if you want to get your friends who are a little apolitical or they're a little liberal or a little conservative, but they like the ideas of liberty, Mark Clare will give it to you at the Lines of Liberty. So go ahead, check them out on Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes today, and check it out for yourself. I guarantee you will not regret it. Check it out today at www.lionsofliberty.com. Welcome back to the show. I've got radio talk show host Joey Clark from Alabama calling in. And we're going to continue where we left off in the previous segment, Joey. Um, You know, we we talk about how there's a disconnect between what people take from culture and what they end up enacting in their everyday lives. And I, I was reading a piece. I forgot what it was. It was essentially saying that the progressives and the Democrats are the modern day Puritans. And, uh, you know, in my mind that, it's just kind of funny because when you think of like young millennial progressives, I often think of hipsters and mm. all these other facade, you know, pseudo cultures. And, you know, for me, I, you know, I was never, I never considered myself once growing up a progressive. I consider myself a conservative for the most part growing up, but I discovered, you know, libertarianism and many of its other aspects in a very strange way. I, I learned about it through punk rock. I mm. learned about it through comic books and as I began to see kind of like this fringe outset culture, 
um, you know, I, I started to see things a little bit differently. And through that, I started to apply what individualism was to other facets of life, economics, philosophy, religion, and politics. But I think that outsider kind of fringe mentality for a while i think that's what a lot that's what draws a lot of libertarians because to have this you know don't hurt people don't take their stuff leave everyone alone mentality you have to be kind of on the fringe to understand that yeah and and, but doesn't that i just heard your statement to not hurt people and not take their stuff you have to be on the fringe to understand that and yet isn't that the basis of almost every single moral theory in the in most of history, uh, other than the totalitarians. And yet, you're right, though. That is the sort of fringe. That if we were just talking to anybody, Republicans, Democrats, so-called progressives, conservatives, and the like, if we were just talking about individual relations, they'd completely agree. They would say, oh, well, of course, uh, you know, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Of course. Uh it makes me think of uh, I've, I revisited Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. My brother chastised me. He's like, you haven't seen that or you don't remember that? Is that the and one where they're in L.A.? Um, I'm not sure if it's L.A. It's the one where uh, the apes have their own sort of encampment and they don't know if any humans are around and some humans stumble upon them oh, and okay. accidentally shoot one of them. So the humans are trying to uh, get a power plant up and running and there's this sort of bad blood. But Caesar, uh, it's the one after the James Franco one. Oh, the OK. The, new, the newer series. I keep thinking of the old 1970s, 1980s one. Yeah, this is the 2014 okay, one. Gotcha. And there's a, but the reason I think of it to our, our discussion is the number one rule. The apes are learning ape shall not shall not kill ape. And yet when the politics of the story gets going. And one of the apes, um, Koba, I believe, becomes so scared because in his past, this goes back, by the way, to our theory about psychological drives and emotional drives. He's been tortured by humans in a cage for years. So he has this inherent distrust of the other, of the humans, whereas Caesar had this loving, caring uh, person in the character James Franco portrayed. So he is willing to – he doesn't trust him, but he's willing to listen and hear him out and try to come to an understanding. And it's amazing to find that the, the person, Kobo, distrust who's been tortured, tears the apes apart and causes a huge war. And this goes to, I think, the essence of why the political statement, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, is so fringe. It's because of this us-and-them mentality, in-group, out-group mentality – I'm not saying I have remedies to get rid of it. It's just something we need to recognize that is always at play and that people, whether it's election season, get behind the Democrats or get behind the Republicans, whether it's war, you get behind the United States against, you know, are we going to fight the Ruskies again? I don't know. Thermonuclear war, bring it on. Uh, But it is always about war in its many different forms can lead not just different us and them groups to fight one another, but it tears the very fabric of the groups within apart to where as soon as you start war in those different forms, 
what do you have to do? This is Murray Rothbard's basic thesis about how war is so awful. That governing authority that's supposed to protect you is now preying upon you even more to take more of your, your money through taxation, to command your economy in any which way. And they might even conscript you and steal your very own life, make you a soldier slave. So it's, it not only sows division between different outgroups, it sows division within. And this is why I think it's so fringe, because people are always thinking in terms of collectives, in terms of groups, and not in terms of the individual and the power of individuals to think independently, to act as they wish, to, uh, if I go a little Ayn Rand on us, to not sacrifice themselves to others and to not uh, sacrifice others to them, but to live independently and equally. For some reason, this is fringe. The war uh, mentality is uh, strong. It's the very essence of the state, as Randolph Bourne puts it. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely. And the biggest thing that you keep re-illustrating with your descriptions of this is the idea of the will to power. Now, I, I'm, I'm only 21. I've only been a self-identified libertarian for several years now, probably going back to 2013. And I, I started to see this idea that I think with many people as they want to dominate others, but don't they don't have it as like something they acknowledge within their own mindsets. It's that there's this idea that I think and I think everyone has this. I don't think anyone is not susceptible to this power lust, but it's the idea that, you know what, if I had absolute power, I would be great. If I had absolute power, nothing would go wrong. And we see this throughout history, whether it was Caesar or Saddam Hussein or all these other people that were able to seize power. And the idea was, I need to keep it close to the chest. And as long as I'm in charge, everything will be fine. And in their minds, they can rationalize everything. Now, for me, I, I bring up comic books constantly. I remember there was this one series a few years ago called um, Avenger, X-Men versus Avengers, where the X-Men are all being possessed by the Phoenix Force. It's this evil entity which gives them absolute power. And mm. in the very end of the series, this young mutant who is the actual designated host who this power was looking for, she can destroy everybody. She can kill the X-Men. She can kill the Avengers. But the last thing she does, because everything that she speaks comes into existence, she says, no more Phoenix. And the power extinguishes itself. And as everyone just jumps around her and they're like, what did you just do? Why would you get rid of it? She's like, I know full well no one should have that much power, including myself. And it wasn't and I, until I heard that, I, was, I read that in the comic, I was like, oh, my God, this explains so freaking much right now. That, that's the absolute essence of where to begin this fool's journey into liberty. What you just said is that nobody should have that power. You get a similar story in The Lord of the Rings. Um, you get a, a lot of those stories that talk about how power corrupts and, and, you know, everybody bandies about Lord Acton's famous phrase, power tends to corrupt and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. And, you know, you also said something else earlier in your statement that it, it, we should make clear, especially if there are conservatives or other non-libertarians listening. Sometimes when libertarians talk about, oh, we don't want to force our views on others, and aren't we so wonderful because we don't want to do this? A lot of people take it as a sort of moral superiority uh, thing. Uh, like I made a comment just in passing, and I, I try not to even post on the or comment and get in conversations on the book of phases anymore because there's so many lost in translations and people take your tone whatever way. But I said that the problem 
and I mean this, the problem for libertarianism and becoming more than just a fringe philosophy is people's will to power and their lust to dominate others. And somebody came in and started accusing me of being high and mighty as though libertarians didn't have this desire. And I corrected him and said, no, I include myself. In particular, uh, Rimzo, I because I get so frustrated watching the news every day, the reason I am a libertarian is because I know what I would do with power. I've told I've had people call me on air very graciously and it's flattering and it's grown my ego and watch out. I might sail away like a hot air balloon one day. They say, Joey, you should run for office. And I always tell them, no, no, I shouldn't. If you ever see me running for office, shoot me, shoot me right in the heart because I might stand up there on stage with the masses in front of me, give a great speech and like Trump or Hillary talk about unifying the country and the common good and the America first or stronger together and all these things. But in my heart of hearts, if you ever see me in politics, I'll be doing it for three things, sex, money and power. And because I understand this about myself, I don't want it. I don't want it. And I use other avenues in order to um, mollify these desires. Um, in particular, I, you know, this libertarian who rails against the government and authoritarians and uh, statists all day, I go home and guess what game I play? It's called Tropico 5, where I'm a tropical dictator running a society. So, I mean, I, I try to let that out. I, I apply some liberty principles to the economy, but maybe the fascists have that right. That's a joke, just to be clear, everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I am a libertarian because I understand what I would do with power. Maybe everybody wouldn't be as awful as me, um, but just be, I, I'm not trying to speak for others. I'm not trying to speak for others at all. I'm speaking for myself, and this is why I eschew, I eschew any desire for power. Makes sense. I mean, as simply put, I think you've said something which many people, while they may have thought it, have never necessarily said it. But that's something I want to actually talk about right after this commercial break. Folks, hang on tight. We'll be back in a minute. Renzo in the mix. What's our problem with messaging the ideas of liberty? Is it the ideas? Is it the people? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's the fact that we're just not doing it in a smart type of way. This is where the Libertarian Youth Caucus comes in. The Libertarian Youth Caucus represents the millennial wing of the Libertarian Party. They're trying to expand the party base while finding new ways to communicate simple, timeless principles such as open minds and free markets. What we need to know is how to find the next generation of voters and make them vote for liberty. We can have a smaller government and a freer economy in our lifetime. And I believe that if we want to help invest in the Libertarian Party, the best way to do so is with the Libertarian Youth Caucus. Learn more about them today at lyc.silkstart.com. That's lyc.silkstart.com. This message is approved by the Libertarian Youth Caucus. Welcome back to the show, everyone. So, Joey, you've already stated why you fear, and I wouldn't say absolute power, but you, you fear a monopolized power unique to you above many people. And this is something that I, I wish more people would consider, per se, 
and it goes across the political spectrum. It's what what how far are you willing to go until you lose yourself? Mm. Because I have um, I have a friend in Ohio who's running as an independent for U.S. Senate, and he's running as an independent because even though he's a philosophical libertarian, maybe a conservatarian kind of sorta, mm. but he's a freedom loving guy. I've I've continually asked him, you know, why, why don't you run as a libertarian per se? And he's like, well, you know, while I think a libertarian might be better than, well, actually, he said, I know they'll be better than a Republican or Democrat. What's to say we won't go the way of others that tried to come together to ban a political faction in the past? What's to say that the Libertarian Party is so good at this game that their own people, if let's say they ever received major political power, weren't susceptible to the levels of corruption, lust, and deceit that has bestowed so many other people. Because I, I recently saw that film uh, with Matthew McConaughey, The Free State of Jones. Mm. And what people forget was the Republican Party. And when I think of the early Republican Party, I don't actually think of Abraham Lincoln at all, because I don't think that he was the embodiment of what the party wanted to be. I think of its first presidential candidate, John Fremont. He's the guy holding the flag on the album cover for my show. I think his slogan at the time was free men, free soil and free Mont. But it was this idea that they were going to be the abs- the abolitionist. It was the idea that they were going to be the constitutionalist. They weren't going to make the same mistakes the Whigs did. And they certainly weren't going to become the power hungry people that the Ku Klux Klan loving Democrats at the time eventually became. And as I think of Fremont and his struggles with the Republican Party, especially post-Civil War and everything, I think about what Scott said. It's like the libertarians, if they ever took control in Congress or whatever, they would eventually all succumb to it. And that's the problem with parties. That's the problem with people. And something that you constantly brought up earlier was that, you know, and I, I know you're not a Christian, but... We are all fallen men, and even the best of us are still susceptible to that. Oh, absolutely. And though I, I don't profess as a Christian any longer, I did go through 12 years of Catholic school. And if you lose one's belief in the good news, you have to at least develop a sense of humor or at least a sense of irony, because I do take seriously the injunction from dust you came and dust you will return. So call me a prodigal son. I, I still respect a great deal, and I have benefited from my, my Christian up, upbringing. So to your point that we are all fallen men, yes. Yes, we are. Um, though I, I worry that the fallenness comes from the very fact that we have this freedom to choose um, without getting into the whole debates over determinism or, or free will. I'm a bit of a compatibilist in that sense. But I, I tend to think because we have this freedom to choose somewhat the course of our lives, this leaves open avenues to do evil, to do uh, horrible things. And you're exactly right. I To go back to Orwell, actually, I wrote a Satirical, a bit of a satirical essay. You can find it on the Libertarian Republic. You can also find it on my blog, joeyclark.liberty.me. Uh, it's called A Warning to the Residents of American Farm. And in that, I essentially say that I don't trust any political parties, especially not one that is advanced under the banner of liberty, unless they're really serious about what they're doing uh, in terms of resistance to the political process, not just getting in power. So I, you know, when I was seeing Ron Paul run for the presidency, imagine, if you will, to your point, that Ron Paul does win 
and he becomes the president. What happens if you do have a major war breakout between, say, Russia or China does something nuts, which is completely possible? Uh, oh, I mean, we have the Olympics I mean, coming up, so you know it's Putin's version of a buffet, right? So, I, I can't imagine Ron Paul being able to keep us out of war at that point. And wouldn't that be utterly ironic? I, I tend to think, in terms of geopolitics, we give too much credit. Even uh, liberty lovers give too much credit to our elected officials. They do not control the world in the way we wish. They did. Uh, a lot of his wish they did. Uh, Hillary Clinton made some comment about Trump the other day that do you really want somebody in the presidency, the presidency where people around the world listen to every word, they hang on every word the president have to, has to say? Would you want somebody like that, like Donald Trump in that position? And what a, a statement of revealing her hubris and a lot of people's hubris when it comes to not just the presidency, but what government can do. Government is powerful. It is the essence of its power is its impunity. But it cannot, with a wave of a magic wand or with dictates from D.C., even if it's good dictates like removing controls, solve all of life's problems. And that's where I think a lot of people, even libertarians, get mistaken that, oh, if we just elect the right people and we put in the good policies, we'll be able to run this world. No, we won't be able to run this world. I think the key insight of somebody like a Hayek and many other libertarians is that you know, the world is a very messy uh, place where order is much more spontaneous, uh, where order and chaos aren't exactly just polar opposites. They actually are working together. And so I would tell folks that you can engage in politics. Uh, not everybody is going to be as uh, extreme a personality as I am. And I think there are good people that can go into politics and do a good job. But don't become too confident of a so-called cause, especially when your goal is achieving political power. That's when the ideals are jettisoned as soon as somebody is sitting on the seat of power. Um, and I don't want these beautiful ideas of the libertarian philosophy to be besmirched by uh, somebody who gains power in the name of liberty and then just does things that tyrants have always done. Exactly. And I agree with you. And just apart from parties, I think the same fallacy jumps onto individuals alone when we put too much emphasis on following the will and dogma of a specific individual. I mean, we're I'm seeing that right now. I mean, I've publicly stated I'm going to be voting for Gary Johnson and Bill Weld in November, but, you know, people get often extremely angry with me because I'm open to criticizing them. They're, I mean, they're not exempt from criticism, especially when they do something wrong, when they say something that's just foolish. And for the most part, you know, I've gotten some very angry emails and phone calls and people have come up with all types of creative words to describe me <laughs> when I've criticized Ron Paul. Because for many people, libertarianism isn't libertarianism. Ron Paul is libertarianism. And if you criticize him, you criticize everything else. And I like Ron Paul. Ron Paul really made me start thinking. But I don't have to agree with everything he said. Well, and I, I can join you. Maybe I can get some of the hate mail my direction. Oh, be careful, I, no, I, man. It gets, well, it gets funny. Gets funny. Well, we'll, we'll <laughs> see then, because I, I really don't have anything but love for Dr. Paul at this point. But when I was in college and watching the debates in 08 and in, uh, after college in 12, uh, 
I saw Ron and I found him to be interesting that he stuck out from the crowd, but I'm a sucker for uh, rhetoric and I never found Ron that great of an order. Uh, I always found him a little bit goofy. It's kind of my same opinion of Gary Johnson. It's sort of this wacky, um, it, not the greatest presentation. It doesn't come across as a leader of men or at least an eloquent speaker. Uh, but as I developed my own ideas and love of liberty from different avenues, I went back and started watching some old Ron Paul moments, like that famous moment with Giuliani over 9-11. And I have to say it's it's amazing. That if you're actually in the camp, um, it is it is incredible to see somebody standing up on that stage. It's such a heated point in our history and and speaking common sense, basically. And I didn't understand Ron Paul until I read Murray Rothbard talking about the abolitionist button pushing tests. Or I believe Leonard Reed had an essay saying, if you could push the button with your finger or move all wage and price controls, would you? And Rothbard says, well, let's expand that. Would you remove all uh, invasions of liberty if you could just push the button? And Rothbard says, I'd blister my thumb pushing that button. But could that really ever happen? Of course not. So you talked about the abolitionists in the old republic. The abolitionists at that time and abolitionists today who fight for the cause of liberty pretty much understand it's not going to happen overnight. We're probably not going to get complete abolition. But by making that stand, drawing that line in the sand, we are able to push the conversation where it needs to go and to show people, yeah, you can say these things in public and you can go about your life in completely good standing. Uh, so I, I tend to think that's where the, the fight should go. And Ron is a great example of that, though he was never what led me to liberty. So I guess that's a sin in some circles. Oh, you're going to get like r- like right now somebody's listening to this, typing your name on Google, trying to find out where you live. And you're going to get like a horse head in the mail. So, you know, <laughs> sorry, but you brought that on yourself. I warned you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you've brought us to a, a good conclusion for the show. But I. Uh, to kind of wrap this up, you know, I think with many people, they, in some way, shape, or form, they, I think what we agreed upon is they worship at the altar of the state. And for many libertarians, they worship at the altar of things that seem really good right now, whether it's a person or a party. But to kind of encapsulate and show the commonality between all people, actually, I, I have a question. Have you ever been to mm-hmm. Selma? Yes, it's been a while, though. Um, you know Edmund Pettus Bridge where the march took place? Yes. Oh, yes, of course. Do you, know, do you know what's on the other side of that? No, I do not. If you're coming into Selma across the bridge or you're leaving Selma and you're going across the bridge, what you see is the American Civil Rights Act Memorial and Museum. And the day that I actually listened to your show for the first time, I was coming back from a Young Americans for Liberty conference at Auburn University, and I crossed over that bridge to get back to Marion. And wow. I remember I stopped there because I saw the sign, and I was like, oh, this will be a nice end to my trip as I'm going back. And as I pulled over, the museum had been closed for at least 10 years. It had been vandalized and looted and left for ruin. So I'm like, okay. I really do not want to encounter whatever drug addict is inside. So even though I could probably go in and see 
remnants on the walls or whatever. I'm not. I was I, so I went ahead and I went over to the memorial on the other side, and what would have been a nice fountain, some beautiful murals, a placard talking about what occurred, and they had a little trail which took o- took you over to some memorials of the two white gentlemen who were murdered the night after MLK's first march on Selma. I saw that that too had been left to ruin. Mm. And it was just, it's sad because you look around and you're like, so many people sacrificed everything. We talk about, you know, libertarians, this really frustrates me because a lot of them talk about the sacrifice, but a lot of them aren't willing to step out of their comfort zone on many things. And as as I looked at this memorial in tribute to great men who risked life, limb, and reputation, and to see it go to ruin, it really, it it struck me. And it's something that I've never been able to shake off because it comes down to, I think, this question. And for progressives, it would be one thing, and for libertarians, it would be another. But because our audience is of the liberty-thinking persuasion, the idea is this. Once you achieve liberty, what are you willing to do to preserve it? for your posterity. And then that leads you to the thing that we've been talking about this entire time. How far does the will to power extend? Well, and I think the search for the new, um, as much as I think libertarians should reclaim the language of progress and take the word progressive away from the regressive left. um, In that essay about uh, the American farm, I mentioned before, I, I bring up this point that it is, a sort of voluntary amnesia, a carelessness that when you, a carelessness remembering important facts, in particular our history, that leads to the tyrant within and without you to take over. I think looking at the whim of the moment, uh, I'm heavily influenced by Ayn Rand as well. So not looking at the long range of where society can go. And so you're right. What that is the question. What are you willing to do to preserve the gains you have made? Because so often. The revolutionaries of yesterday become the conservatives or the establishment class, the ruling class of today, and they forget the revolutionary zeal that brought them together in the first place. You can find this in in a lot of work. Um, You can find this in a lot of the stuff we've mentioned, Lord of the Rings. When they go back home to the Shire, the Hobbits, they have to fight a battle. Uh, When you look at Animal Farm, they forget the very basics of the the opening revolution and songs when they overthrew the farmers and the pigs become just like the men they overthrew. And I think this is the question that you have to remember the very basics and then be willing, uh, not necessarily to go out and look for a fight, but be willing to suffer and even at a certain point become a martyr um, in this world. Judge Napolitano not too long ago said in a speech that there will be young men and women in this room who will go to jail in the next few decades if we keep on our current course. And I take his message very seriously. So this is why I harp not just on a beautiful future, which I think is possible, but also tragedy does come in life as much as we do a free will and men have ability to choose the course of their lives. There are also powers beyond our control. And it's a matter of facing tragedy head on and not losing ourselves and losing our zeal for our basic ideas, even in the face of tough times. Perfect. Joey Clark, if people want to follow you and everything that you do, how can they keep track of you? Uh, firstly, I'm very active on Facebook, so they can find me on the Book of Faces, Joey Clark. Uh, 
moody looking fellow, little facial hair, long hair in front of a microphone and a black and white photo. Um, also they can find me on Twitter at, at the Joey RC at the Joey RC. My blog is also at Liberty.me. It's called the Libertarian Fool and the URL is JoeyClark.liberty.me. JoeyClark.liberty.me. And if you love me, if you love the sound of my voice as much as I do, you can email me. Or if you hate me and want to send me a severed horse head for things I've said, especially about Ron Paul, email me at joeyrc33 at gmail.com, joeyrc33 at gmail.com. Joey, it's been an absolute blast having you on, sir. we got to get you on again one day. Oh, absolutely. And I would love to have you on my hour as well. Uh, I'm, I'm always available. Just shoot me a time. Absolutely. <laughs> well, anyway, folks, thanks for listening today. As you know, this is not the most cerebral libertarian podcast out there. And to kind of sidetrack, I think conversations like this are important. I don't always like to have serious conversations because I feel like I'm pushing many people that would be newcomers onto the show away. I mean, I follow the Marvel Comics method. Every comic is someone's first comic, so give them a reason to come back. But while I might be avoiding some of these topics sometimes, and I know some of you think that I'm kind of whitewashing certain aspects of the liberty movement, understand this. While I can't always provide you the type of conversation you want, I'm going to have it when the moment is right. And when I get amazing guests who are really the fountainhead of thought in this movement, such as Joey Clark on the show, we'll do that. But I think the biggest responsibility is with you, the listener. Go out and take the things that you liked about the show and you didn't like about the show and apply it to how you think best in communicating these messages. Whether you think I would agree or disagree with it, that's the really unimportant part. The important part is the action that needs to be taken. And whether it's participating through the political process or not, whether it's being an artist or not, it comes down to you. A willingness to do something for the sake of goodness is better than nothing. As always, I'm your host, Remso W. Martinez. Screw the FCC. Good night, America. Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for?